Amen. Well, guys, thank you again coming out for our Precious Marriage series as we're going through uh, 1 John. 1 Peter. 1 Peter, excuse me. 1 Peter. We're in chapter 1 as we're looking at this study. So again, this is, this is the fifth part uh, in, our, in our series. We've been looking at as Peter has started off by talking about the pilgrim who's on a journey, who's going somewhere, and we talk about for us in our marriages, it's a pilgrimage of marriage that we are on a journey, that we are all prayerfully heading somewhere. And last week, we both kind of, myself and my wife, we kind of honed in on uh, the title of Precious Blood, and we were looking at that where Peter talked about the precious blood, and we looked about what the precious blood accomplishes. Now listen, if you don't take away anything at all from the whole message of all of our messages in this series, this is the one thing we would love you to walk away with, and that is what the precious blood accomplishes in each and every one of our hearts and each and every one of our lives. And again, it's, it's just worth repeating, as we saw last week, the precious blood brings about forgiveness. It brings about forgiveness of sin, of my sin, your sin, the person next to you's sin. And that happens because of the precious blood. When we allow that aspect to be a part of our relationship, of our marriage, um, it does something that nothing else can do. It brings about healing. It brings about oneness. It brings about togetherness. In fact, the precious blood is what allows the two really to become one flesh, one flesh spiritually. Um, you know, that God would bring us together. That's what the precious blood accomplishes. But also, for us husbands, the precious blood allows us to unconditionally love our wives. Again, to lay down our lives for them, to get on our hands and knees as Jesus showed us that example and wash our wives' feet. The precious blood allows you ladies to unconditionally respect your husband to come along and to be that helpmate that's so needful for him. And again, it's it's whether it's not whether you feel like it or not, whether they deserve it or not. It's just because of the blood we can do uh, something outside of our flesh that the spirit can only des- can only do. And so the the precious blood allows all of those things to happen, as well as what we're going to look at tonight where the precious blood allows us to really experience that love one for another, the fervent love, that kind of title, that fervent love between uh, a husband and a wife, a wife and a husband, to where when people would look at us, they would look at us and say, they have true love, or true love, from Princess Bride. Anyways, (laughs) But it would be fervent love, sincere love for one another. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And we're both going to kind of hone in on this and talk about that. But you go to verse 22 and it says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And again, I love the fact that Peter assumes that his readers 
um, understand that they needed to be born again. Again, I, I don't know about you, but I got saved in the 70s. And, um, when, and, and that was a big thing back in the 70s. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? And I didn't understand what it meant. You know, all I just knew was that must be really important because everybody's talking about being born again. And what is that? Well, again, Jesus said to Nicodemus, that religious leader, you must be born again. And again, listen, each one of us, we are body, soul, and spirit, okay? That, that is what we are. But that's not how God originally created us, body, soul, and spirit. He created us spirit, soul, and body. And our spirit was interacting with God's spirit. But in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered in, that kind of took a flip, and the spirit died, in a sense, and we were dead spiritually, but we are now body and soul, and the bodily appetites are now controlling us. And yet, when we acknowledge what God says us about is true, we are sinners in need of a Savior, that now we can become alive in the Spirit. Our Spirit is ministering to God's Spirit. We become one with Him. That's an old Pastor Chuck thing for all of you old Calvary people. Anyways, but again, and because of that, then Jesus will look at us and say, we have been born again. We've been born anew, born by the Spirit of God, where we've asked the Holy Spirit to come in, he revives that, and now we can communicate with God. We can be born again. Again, not of the corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And Peter's going to hone in on that whole thing. Verse 24, because all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which this gospel was preached to you. So, and again, that's a quote from Isaiah 40. Um, but we'll start with the ladies on this one. Okay, okay. So just going back to, uh, back to verse 22, as Pat read, it talks about how we've purified our souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. In another version it reads, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. And for us ladies, basically to me that just ministered to my heart that the moment that we believed in Jesus, we began to obey, to go after the truth. We were cleansed, we were forgiven, we were made brand new. But it doesn't stop there. The verse goes on to say, love one another fervently. And in that same verse where it says you were cleansed, it says, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. So it, it's challenging us as ladies, as wives, that we must have brotherly love. Since we are redeemed, since we've been forgiven and cleansed and made brand new, we are obligated to love. It's not an option. It's not if we feel like it. As Pat said, it, there's, there's no little loopholes. You know, we're always looking for a loophole. We are obligated to love just like Jesus has loved us. Hebrews 13.1 says, let brotherly love continue. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It, another version says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. That is proof that we really love God. So ladies, just as um, in this whole, we're going to try to apply it to our marriages, 
we should be loving our husband just as a brother in Christ, because he is our brother in Christ. We should be encouraging him in the Lord, not nagging or trying to be the Holy Spirit and point out everything that he's doing wrong or everything that's wrong with him, but encouraging, pushing him closer to the Lord, challenging him and um, allowing him to be all that God desires to be. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and to do that, he gets to become all that God has encouraged, all that God has desired for him to be. And we get to be encouragers, or as you said, helpmates in that whole process. We get to be his cheerleader in watching him grow in the Lord. And that's what brothers and sisters in Christ do. When we love one another, we encourage one another. We want to challenge each other. Come on, carry on, keep going. I know it's hard, but we can do this. That's what our calling is. And that first part in verse 22 is talking about that kind of brotherly love, like a friend that would do for a friend. And that's just kindness and friendship. And because we're family in Christ, and um, that's what we should be doing for our spouse as well. And then in the second part of verse 22, it's talking about God's agape love, that unconditional, pure love, the kind of love that's only possible through Jesus, as Pat pointed out, only through the blood of Jesus can we experience that kind of love. And since we've been loved and we've been cleansed and we've been chosen and forgiven by him, we can love without conditions as well. We ought to love without conditions as well. And that means that we're even able to overlook differences, overlook faults and failures without always fighting about it. We don't always have to be the Holy Spirit and pointing out what was wrong. Well, you said it like this and that hurt my things or you did this. We can choose to overlook those things just as Jesus forgives us and overlooks all kinds of junk about us. And that's what God's agape love looks like in us as wives. It says to love each other deeply with all your heart, from your heart, fervently with a pure heart. Again, the only way we can do that is when our hearts have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You know, that fervent love, the word fervent is an athletic term, and it means to strive with all of one's energy. You know, if you watched a Dodger game last night or a football game or whatever, those guys are out there, they are putting everything into it because this is important. They want to win that game. That's the kind of striving that this verse is talking about. That's the way that we're called to love our spouse. Do And I had to just ask myself, do I love my spouse, my spouse with all of my energy, all of my attention, everything that I have, do I always love him like that? And sadly, most of the time that's not true. It's much more natural to be consumed with me, put me first. What about me? What about what's going on in my life? And to use my energy on what's important to me, what I think that matters the most. And um, to put all of my energy and my thoughts into the things that I think is most important. And yet, this, this calling here to love fervently is to put the other one first so that you can put all of your energy, all of your thoughts, all of that you have into loving them the way that God would have you to love them. To pay attention to their needs, to pay attention to the things that matter to Him. Loving him deeply and fervently with all my heart, is it's a challenge because I think about me. That's, that's the reality is I think about me, and yet God would call me to put aside what my things are and to love him first. You know, and that's something we have to work at every day. It doesn't come natural, and we need to allow the Lord to, to work that in us. 
can, and I just thought, can my husband see that the energy that I'm putting out is being used for him? Does he feel like I put him first, that the things that matter to him matter to me? And when I choose to do that, it helps him to know that he is special and that he's loved by me. He can sense that agape love working in our relationship. You know, just, I think you said it as well, when we're operating in God's agape love, it's not just about feelings, it's a choice of our will. As Pat said, sometimes we're not going to feel like it, but because God's spirit is working and ruling and reigning in our hearts, we will make that choice. You know what, I'm gonna love him the way that God wants me to. It's a choice of our will. It's a choice to love others like God loves us. That's the way God loves me, and I ought to be able to extend that same love to my spouse. Warren Worsby said this, we show agape love to others when we treat them the same way that God treats us. And just as God forgives us, so we forgive others. Just as God is kind to us, so we are kind to others. And I just applied that to our marriages. You know, I can show a God's agape love when I treat my spouse the same way that God treats me, when I forgive my spouse if he's done something wrong, the way God forgives me when I do all kinds of things wrong, when I treat my husband with kindness the same way that God treats me with kindness. You know that the Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not his harsh rebuke, it's not his nagging and telling us everything we've done wrong, but it's, it's his kindness, it's his mercy, it's his goodness that draws me in and says, you know what, you messed up, let's get this right, let's forgive, let's cleanse, let's move on. And God expects me to show that same kindness to my spouse. And you know, in our marriage, in our relationship, when we show kindness in the middle of disagreements or arguments or problems that are going on, when one is willing to show kindness, it helps diffuse all the anger. It, it helps diffuse the problem, and it allows that little crack, that small opening, for God's Holy Spirit to get in the Word, and things can be resolved the way God would have it to be. Ephesians 4.32, and you probably say, you quote that every week, and I probably do, but I love this verse. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. It's kind of like a mantra for marriage. Ephesians 4.32. And sometimes when you're in the middle of those hard moments or something's going on that's a difficult time, our flesh gets in the way, and you might say, that's too hard, I need help. You know what? The verses tonight are going to tell us God is going to help. He has two things, and in, in, Pastor Jeff alluded to these on Sunday. I thought, this is great. It's going to tie right in. The first thing is the Word of God. The Word of God will tell us how to do what we ought to do. When there's a problem, when there's striving, when there's an issue in my marriage, the Word of God will show me what to do in those situations. And the second thing is the Spirit of God. He is the one, that third person of the Trinity, that will help me to do it. When I find out what the Word of God tells me that I should be doing, the Spirit of God is the one that will help me to do it. When I don't feel like it, well, that's not fair. He should apologize first. The Spirit of God is the one that comes along and said, just humble yourself, just say it, just say you're sorry, just do it. And then God can work in the way that He wants to to restore love in our relationship. J. Vernon McGee said this, your relationship to the Word of God will lead you to a right relationship with other believers. And I like that because how much time I spend in the Word, my relationship with the Word of God is going to determine 
how I'm going to interact with my spouse, how I'm going to interact with other people. When I'm not close to the Word of God, then things are going to be out of order in my other relationships because I'm going to be relying on me and my understanding. But when I am drawn near to the Word of God, the way I interact with people is going to be governed and ruled and reigned by God's Word. And that's how I want it to be. Moving on to verse 23, as Pat said, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abide forever. I really honed in on that word incorruptible. I don't know why it just kind of jumped out at me. And I thought, you know, this is, I think, the third time Peter has used the word incorruptible in this first chapter, in this first chapter. And the first time was back in verse 4 when he was talking about the inheritance that God is keeping for us. That inheritance that's pure, that it won't fade away, it's not going to perish, it's not going to change, it's not going to decay. Nobody can do anything to it because God says so. It's incorruptible. The next time he used that idea of incorruptible was when he described the precious and pure blood of Jesus Christ. When it said that that um, that there's no money or riches in this world that could ever do what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for us. It's redeemed us, it's ransomed us, it's cleansed us, and made us, it's made us brand new. It's given us new life, and it's incorruptible. Nobody, nothing can change that. And now tonight, we're going to look at this next time when Peter mentions something incorruptible again, and it's when he's talking about God's living word. The Word of God is incorruptible. It does not change. It will not perish. You don't have to worry about someone, oh, wait a minute, you know, sorry, I misspoke. God said it. That should settle it. We believe it. And I love just this whole picture because we live in a world that's full of chaos and disappointment and change. And isn't it awesome to know that we can count on the Word of God. We can count on the blood of Jesus. We can count on an inheritance that God has reserved for us in heaven. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. God's living Word has made us born again. He's made us brand new. He's changed us from our old selfish nature into a new godly nature. And that is the only way that we can love one another the way that God desires. Um, his blood cleanses us. His word gives us life and direction. His promise to an inheritance is reserved for us and is keeping us. So we, if we've been born again, then we can truly love God and love others the way we're supposed to. So you might say, well, how does this apply to my marriage? Well, for us ladies, I said we're going to start with some wardrobe tips from this verse. What we're going to wear. Maybe you're experiencing some problems in your marriage tonight. Maybe some disappointments. Maybe some hurt feelings. Maybe you came here and you're actually mad. You know what? First and foremost, let the incorruptible blood of Jesus cleanse your heart. Let it change your attitude. Let it even give you and me a spirit of forgiveness. Maybe your husband did say or do something wrong. God's incorruptible blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus can change my heart and give me a heart that's willing to forgive even when we've been wronged. In Colossians 3, 12 and 13, it says this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. So this is our first outfit. We're going to put on tender mercies and kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. We're going to bear with one another, forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even your hubby, even as Christ has forgiven you, so you must do. 
So that's outfit number one. That's the first thing that we're called to wear in as our little wardrobe of uh, incorruptible daughters of the king. The second thing is the incorruptible word of God. Let it change me. Let it renew my mind from my own selfish nature, my own selfish ways, into a woman who is a blessing to her spouse. And this is the verse I picked for that. Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, that God renews our mind according to the image of him who created us. Let the word of God dwell in you richly with all wisdom. That's Colossians 3.10 and 16. That's outfit number two. The word of God, the incorruptible word of God will change my mind. It will change and transform my mind. You, our minds pick up all kinds of garbage from this world. You can't drive anywhere. You can't go anywhere without hearing things, seeing billboards, and all those little things are going in our poor little brains. We need the Word of God to cleanse our minds and to, to transform our minds and make them brand new. We need to put on that new woman that's renewed in knowledge. And when we do that, we can think correctly in our relationship with our spouse. And lastly, think about how often, think, excuse me, think about often the incorruptible inheritance that Jesus has promised us that we that is reserved in heaven for us and one day we are going to be able to see um, for ourselves and when I think about the incorruptible inheritance I have it helps me to do things it helps me to keep things in right perspective when I'm thinking on heavenly things I don't get so overwhelmed by the earthly things when the car breaks when we're late on the rent when we don't know what's going to go on with this COVID. I don't have to be consumed with those things. Those are real cares and concerns. So God knows that those things concern us, but we don't have to be overwhelmed with them. The second thing it does, and I love this one, is that it helps me to not put unrealistic expectations or demands on my spouse for worldly things. When I remember that I have an inheritance in heaven, then I'm not a nag for, well, you need to get another job and we need to do this and you need to do that and you should have been saving this. I don't need to be worried about all those things. And again, those things, that we need to pay our bills, we need money in the bank, we need all those kind of things here and there, but we don't need to be consumed with them. And sometimes as wives, we can be unrealistic with our spouse and put burden on them that we shouldn't be. And yet when I think about things above, I can be free from those things. It can calm me down and like, okay, just relax. Because when, when all else fails, I've got a mansion in heaven because Jesus told me so. And thirdly, what this I also like, it helps me to be a grateful, thankful, appreciative woman of God. I am reminded of all that God has blessed me with. How, you know, ladies, even that we're blessed with a spouse that loves Jesus. You know, there's a world full of women that have husbands who don't know the Lord, think how miserable their lives are be so are so often, and yet we're blessed to have men that love Jesus. And just to be reminded of that and to be grateful for that. And you know, um, when we do that, it helps us to love our spouse because we're appreciate, we appreciate what God has blessed us with. You know, the other thing I just thought about is that the world is watching us and desperately hoping that there is something or someone different out there that can offer them hope. Look around, the world is hopeless. They, they are, you know, scrambling everywhere for someone that will give them an ounce of hope and that can show them what a true, what true love really looks like and what true relationship really looks like. Colossians 3.14 says this, above all, 
clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And I just wrote, that's outfit number three that we need to put on, ladies. We need to clothe ourselves with love. We need to put on the love of Jesus, which binds together everything. It will bind together your relationship. It will smooth over those things that are not right. It'll help us walk through the hard times and get through without a lot of damage and collateral that we have to try to make up for later. And again, the world is watching. They want to know that too. Our marriages aren't perfect, but we can obey Jesus by loving our spouse just as Jesus loved us first. We can, and you can be sure that your family, your friends, your coworkers, and the world are watching. Let's show them what the love of God looks like how powerful it is and what it's able to accomplish. Even as two sinners try to come together and make a relationship work, they can see the Spirit of God working in us and filling us so that we can love one another with God's agape love. And finally, in the last verse, 20, in the last verses 24 and 25, I just put for us ladies, this is our beauty tip for the night. It says, because all flesh is as grass and the glory of man is as the flower of the the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of God endures forever. You know, one of the version, it reads like this. I really like this. People are like grass, growing beautifully, green and lush one day, brown and stinky in the trash the next. All their glory and their beauty are like wildflowers in the field, gorgeous and breathtaking one day, drooping, fading, falling in the days that follow. And I just thought, ladies, so sad, but that's that's our life. That's our, That's our world. You know, our looks, our figures, our outward appearance, it might have started out beautiful and gorgeous and all those wonderful things. But as time, it's going to fade, it's going to droop, it's going to fall. Gravity is not our friend as the years go on. But we can be wives whose beauty is not just skin deep. Verse 25 says, The word of the Lord endures forever. We can be beautiful on the inside. We can be women of the word because the word of God, it endures forever. So if we are women who, whose hearts and minds are filled with the word of God, that will go on and on forever. The hair might gray, the skin might get wrinkled, things might start falling and breaking and all that kind of stuff. But we can be women who are women of the word, and that will endure and make a relationship be fruitful and loving in the years to come. It says in the Proverbs, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. That only can happen when we are women of the word. When I'm in the word, my mouth is can be full of wisdom, my tongue can be kind. It's very obvious when, when I'm not in the word because there isn't wisdom coming out of my mouth. And there certainly isn't kindness on my tongue. So we need to be women of the word. Your husband will be blessed. The other people in your family and around you will be blessed as well. Our outward appearance might fade, but a heart that's filled with God's word will endure the test of time. It will last through the good seasons as well as through the hard ones and even the bad. Proverbs goes on to say this in 31. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Amen. Amen. Okay, men, I'm going to kind of hone in on some of the same things um, there in verse 22. 
And again, Peter's going to tell us things that we've learned uh, and we've talked about many, many times. So I'm going to probably just do this, try to do this fairly quickly. But uh, verse 22 says, Since you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a a pure heart. Again, Paul would tell us that in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Again, we know that the Greek word for love, we see it here with Peter, uh, where it says love one another fervently is the word agape, which is unconditional love. Again, it means regardless, husband, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, that love is agape, unconditional love, regardless of her, her attitude or actions. We are commanded by God to love. And again, it's the same word that, that is used there in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He agape the world. Again, he loved us when we were still in trespasses and sins against him. His love does not change for us or towards us. Again, men understand that Peter's saying, verse 22, since you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. It's like Peter is saying to each one of us, hey, guys, listen, I know you desire to do the right thing, to act in a right way towards the people around you. And that is great. But I, he goes, but I want to I take it even a step further. I want it to be sacrificial love. And for us husbands, that's what is asked of us, commanded by God to lay down our lives for our wives. Again, Peter's assuming that because we call ourselves Christians, that we are willing and wanting to love the brethren. And can I tell you, the person sitting next to you, um, your wife, your helpmate, your soulmate, whatever she may be called, keeping it positive, but she would be included in this word brethren, love the brethren. And, and yes, this word love here, again, this is the phileo. This is the friendship love. And again, what I see is the Peter saying, hey, there should be this friendship love. And even between the husband and, and wife. I find it interesting that the last couple of weeks I've ran into some Christians who tell me they love the Lord. And I really do believe they love the Lord. Um, they, 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 they have a desire to seek the Lord. They say they love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I really believe that that's what they are attempting and trying to do. But you put them in a room with their spouse, and for some reason, what is evident, it, it's not true love. It's not friendship love. It's not sacrificial love. It, it's like they, they, they're not even friends, but they're more like enemies they're more like enemies and 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 yet the the peter would be encouraging us guys we need to not be acting like enemies but we need to be acting like friends we need to have that love because listen if my actions towards my wife is not even a friendship love it's not you know if it's not a friendship love it's not going to be sacrificial love then what is really going on here am i falling into the trap of the world because what's the world do right now uh, again, there is not a whole lot of love out there. And especially in what we're seeing going on with the politics and all this other stuff. 
what's going on is I want to try to make you look as bad as you can. So for some reason that makes me feel better about myself, look better. And that whole negative kind of thing that's going on. And that is what's going on. It's just all I want to rip you apart and tear you apart. And yet that's what the world is doing. And when we bring that into our homes, when we bring that into our marriages, where all we're doing is trying to rip the other person apart again, that is not love. And that God is not honored in any of those things. In fact, the, the word of God would command us, love covers what? A multitude of sins. That is how we as Christians are supposed to act, respond. That is what should be going on within the relationship. Again, unfortunately, what happens is, is we fall into that duty or the responsibility like, okay, well, I know it's a duty. I don't really like this person and we're stuck together. Now we have kids and, and so we're trying to work this out. But it's like two people living under the same roof, but there's no love. It's not there. It's just a duty or it's a responsibility. And Peter would say, oh, yeah, you know, duty's okay, responsibility is okay. But if there's not love, then there's something radically wrong that's going on. But again, you'll know they're Christians by their love, love one for another. And yet Peter just doesn't stop with the friendship love again. He goes into sacrificial love and sacrificial love. Again, it's not about me. It's not about my needs. It's not about all that I want. But am I willing to lay down my life for the other person? And the other person is our is our wives. Paul would tell the Colossians, again, I loved it that Pastor Jeff went Colossians 3, remember last week or the week before I was talking about how you could throw your Bible away, not, but, and if all you had was Colossians chapter 3, you could spend the rest of your life just trying to accomplish what's just there in that chapter. But he says, husband, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Listen, bitterness is a root that gets in and it spreads out. And it like it almost tries to grab hold of all the yuck that's there. And again, we remember when we first started Peter, where it talks about we go through trials. And part of the trials is to bring the yuck to the top so that Jesus Christ can wash it and cleanse it. And yet, unfortunately, what happens oftentimes in a marriage is sometimes that yuck comes up and then that's all we want to hone in on it, all that yuck. And we allow for that root of bitterness to take hold and it will destroy the relationship. But we need to take that root of bitterness to the cross. John would encourage us um, not love this world in not not to love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. Love should go way beyond just saying, I love you. And there should be actions behind the word. And again, if there's no actions there, then I'm going to say we're not even going to have that friendship love or the agape sacrificial love. Again, did not Jesus say that greater love has no one than this, than that we would lay down one's life for a friend. Men, again, your wife is your friend. She is not the enemy. Even though maybe sometimes it might seem like she's acting like the enemy or things, but she's not the enemy. Listen, listen, there has been times when my wife has looked at me and said, Pat, I am not your enemy. Why would she have to say that to me? Because I was not acting like she was a friend and there was no sacrificial love. There was no friendship love. I was acting or conducting myself like she was my enemy because of something that had gone on or something she said or whatever the case may be. And yet that is not okay. It's not okay with the Lord. We need to go to the cross. We need to be washed. We need to be cleansed again. 
The nation Israel, they were wandering in the wilderness. They came to this place called Mara. There was some wells there, some, you know, water there. So they went and they started drinking of it, but the water was bitter. Listen, bitterness is a root that wants to take hold and do damage and do destruction. But for the children of Israel, God spoke to Moses. Moses, go to that tree, grab a branch, take that branch and go and throw that branch in the water. And then that branch made the water sweet. That represents Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ can bring sweetness into our lives where we've allowed bitterness to be there. The sweetness of Jesus Christ can bring forth refreshing and water that we can drink. If there's bitterness there within our hearts and lives towards our wives. Again, that's why Paul would say, don't be bitter towards them. But if it's there. We need to go to the cross of Jesus Christ, and that brings out the sweetness within our lives. And again, just I love the fact that Peter quotes from Isaiah 40. Again, it's really where we're at as far as God's concerned. We're like grass. Uh, we grow, we die. Our best works are like a flower that blooms and it dies. Uh, there's only one thing that endures forever. And forever, guys, it, it's, it's not just a long time. It's for ever. And yet it's not our flesh. It's not our good works. It's the word of God. Listen, guys, there will come a time someday where this this person here is going to die. And you know what? Probably the next day, a day later, someone's going to say, Pat, who? You know, I think I'm something important. I think I'm something big. But as far as in the world, it's like, Pat, who? Pat, what? No, you know what? And then and then it's over and done with. What lasts? What lasts is if I have yielded myself to the word of God, allow the word of God to work in me. And that is what will last. That work that God wants to do, that will last forever. Since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth. Again, that purified means to make clean. How does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. Through the spirit and sincere love of the brother, Love one another fervently with a pure heart. And when we do that, we're going to have an impact on the world around us. When we choose to obey God's word, we can have that friendship love, that sacrificial love for our wives. And God will take it and use it in hearts and lives of those around us. Again, men, let's love. Let's love our wives fervently with a pure heart. Amen. Father, again, we do thank you for your love, your grace, your goodness, and your word. And Lord, as we look into your word tonight, again, it's just a pretty simple word. It it is love. And I'm reminded, Lord, oftentimes how uh, I'm driven by my flesh and what I want and, and my desires, Lord. And it's oftentimes not by your desires and your love. But Lord, you say that you pour your love into our hearts as we open our lives to you. And again, Lord, I know there's people here. I know there's people watching online. And Lord, there may be some that are just maybe watching online that, man, they don't even like each other. They're really struggling right now with all of that. And Lord, I pray and ask, would you open their hearts? Would you not allow for there to be bitterness or resentment that's going on? But Lord, we would go to the cross of Christ. We would allow for what you did upon that Christ to bring forth sweetness within our marriage. We would would lay that bitterness at your feet and you would bring about healing and restoration and, 
and forgiveness within the marriage, Lord, within the relationship. And cause us, Lord, to, if we've fallen out of love, to return to our first love, Lord, with you and with each other, that we would have that love one for another, God. And we thank you that you are the one who wants to do that work in our hearts and within our lives. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree by saying amen. Hey, guys, listen, I know that we're here and stuff, but what I would like is before you leave, maybe can you get together with another couple and maybe just pray and ask the Lord to be with you and to watch over you and to encourage you and to strengthen you. But let's do that before we leave, because again, I, I want—I know that we're all in places and we all have things going on within our lives. We all need prayer. And so I'd encourage you guys, let's, before we head out the door, just grab another couple and pray with them if you guys don't mind doing that. You have your masks on. You can even stay socially distanced, but pray with each other, okay? Amen? Amen. Okay, God bless you guys. Oh, next week we're not meeting. So next week we're not meeting. We'll be meeting two weeks after that. And prayerfully, the ninth, yes, prayerfully things will maybe calm just a little bit. Amen. All right, guys, thank you.